0: 78644 is made possible by our sponsors Texas Hatters, Commerce Gallery, Little Trouble, Blairfield Realty, Windy R Books and Gifts, Willigan's Island, and Birdie House. The week that happens after Christmas and before New Year's Eve is a strange time. New Year's always seems like the holiday that happens to other people. Christmas is still around, the decorations are usually still up, and then quickly approaching is the end of the year. And so that means a reset, resolutions, and looking forward to a new year. So, unlike fashion with the holiday hangover, we'll have some things on this episode that are about Christmas and others which focus on the passing of time toward New Year's. I'm Stephen Collins, and this is 78644. Roy Heinrich is a singer-songwriter that was born in Houston, Texas. He began singing country music in L.A. in 1989, and after moving to Austin, Texas in 1992, he established himself as a roots honky-tonk country music artist. One thing you didn't know is he was also in one of the biggest punk bands, in Texas, but he doesn't talk about that here. Roy joined us in the studio to talk about what he's up to lately. Okay, (laughs) where was home?
1: I'm originally from Houston, and uh, in 88, I moved to Los Angeles for about three years, and then after going through some personal stuff, you know, divorce and all that sort of thing, uh, I had a girlfriend that had lived here before, and she was in the music scene, and she kind of taught me, it moved me in this direction, and and I loved it. And I needed to be close to my parents; they were getting older. and I knew I would need to be helping them, and I could still make make a go with music, and and it worked out pretty well.
0: And when you're when you're playing, are you doing a mixture of your stuff and other material? Or, or? Yeah,
1: I, I I have some old standards that I do in in my my style, which is it, it all fits. And I've just gotten to to a point where. I realized that I, what I really need to do is just strive to be a better version of myself. You know, I don't don't want to be like anybody. I just want to be me. The nicest thing anybody ever said to me was a, a year or so ago. The guy it was a kind of a belligerent drunk <laughs> in the bar there, but he said, "You make me feel like I'm in your living room." And I went, "Thanks. That's that's that's
0: the idea." Being from Houston and then going to Los Angeles. Did you find more of your Texas self in California and came back? Or did you really enjoy California? Tell me about that.
1: Um, When I moved there, that was when I really started pursuing my own music writing and, and doing my own shows. But I also was a working bass player. And in Houston, it didn't seem quite as easy to do that, to combine those two things. And, and out there, it was really common for people to play bass with one band the next, and then the next night do a show with their own stuff. And I, I just got into that. And I realized that, that out in Los Angeles, and it's probably this way everywhere. It was this way in Austin. Everybody there that's from somewhere else is the best in their hometown. And you either rise to the occasion or you go back home. I made friends that, that I'm still friends with out there and played with and met with some extraordinarily good people and when you play with good people you get better I, I used to do more covers but i kept writing and and it seemed like my songs were accepted there was more avenues of places to play back then it seems like it's gotten so so crowded and, and i don't mean to sound critical it's just the nature of the beast you know when things grow there's they just get to a point where they sort of the bubble you know a balloon can only hold so much air you know But these days, it seems like, although I still do a bunch of select cover songs, I do a a big percentage of my own songs. In fact, my wife, who is also my piano player, she's encouraged me to pick some stuff up out of the closet and dust them off. And I've actually had to relearn a bunch of my, my own songs and they've been go- been going over real well and i think it's it's partly because i've just gotten more comfortable in my own skin. We put a cd out a few years ago and it's basically the working band with no, no overdubs, almost live in the studio. I had just restocked my my previous four cds and now people don't buy or use cds anymore. <laughs> we we bought a car and there's there's no cd player in it, you know. <laughs> you know, all my songs they're all true. You know, i've, I've lived every every second of every minute of every one of them you know the last 10 years i've been really happy in my life and a friend at a high school reunion asked if i wrote any songs like that. i said no i've been too happy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know my songs are about drinking and cheating and, and and you know sad stuff happy songs don't work for me you know
2: last night i drank too much whiskey i don't
0: Shirley Hughes, his a local artist, who's a good friend of mine, who's stopped by today to visit, about uh, her work and about a, um, a very high honor that may be awarded to you. So we're very happy to have you. Thank you for coming.
3: Well, thank you, Stephen. It's great to be here. It's really good to see you.
0: I know. I think we've been <laughs> ships in the night, so it's pretty-
3: Yes, for a while. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you've been in your studio painting a lot. I know that. Um you did have a show last year in 2022, which was very successful. Yes. And um, then a continuation on that work. But before we get started talking about that, I want to uh, introduce you to our listeners. Some some may not know who you are. So you, you originally are from Dallas. Like I'm from Dallas, and you're I think similar neighborhood even.
3: Uh, uh old East Dallas, like Lakewood.
0: Yeah. And um, and then so you came to Lockhart. A little after I did.
3: My husband and my daughter and I, we were living in Austin. Um, She was born in 2012, and she was about six months old. And we were looking for a new place to rent. And um, it was in May of uh, 2013, and it was getting down to the wire. um, And we found a great um, house on Craigslist and came out and talked to the landlord. And we loved it. And we ate at Smitty's. And signed the lease and brought it back to her, and yeah, and so our our stint in Lockhart began in 2013. As you know, having kids yourself, um, it, uh, m- my career at that time was had kind of really slowed down. Um, she was six months old. Um, I did a lot of uh, work that I could kind of do in five or ten minutes and set the kitchen timer for. Um, I I slowly over these. I I can't do math. Oh, so that's 10 years. (laughs) Um, Over these 10 years, you know, the space in our garage has uh, transformed itself into my studio. I began with really small projects. And as she got older, I got into bigger projects. And when she started school at Lockhart Montessori is when I really was able to get back to my large format studio um, painting.
0: I didn't really get to know you until um, I had some projects that I I needed some illustration for. They were music-related projects. Yes. And I came to you for one was a music video. um, Oh, yeah. That we did. It was inspired by George Melies.
3: Yeah. Oh, Melies. Yes. Yes.
0: I was inspired by George Melies. And looking at how Melies worked, he had a set that was like a theater with one camera, um, a very large format motion picture camera. And then he had artists do the foreground, middle ground, and background pieces. And so I was like, I want to work like that, but digitally, but with the pieces. So I came to you, and you did a fantastic job doing these foreground, middle ground, background illustrations.
3: Yeah. You know, I had forgotten. i have forgotten all about that. Um, And that was so much fun because I had— heard of him i think like in graduate school the the first time around um for theater Melier, but
0: you're talking about
3: yeah had not um hadn't really visited his work and you turned me back onto that and um that was a great project and it was all done in um charcoal i did all of that in really rich charcoal
0: and try what i was trying to do was make it's close to possible of what they would do in that era. And, yeah. Uh, and then, but instead of a large room, you can do it on a computer in a virtual space. And that, But I still got a chance to work that way. It was so much fun to see it come to life. And, uh, and it wouldn't have looked anything like it did if it wasn't for, for your work. So. That's
3: so interesting. I love it to go back to when people remind me of times that we've collaborated. I'm like, oh, I forgot all about that. Oh, well, that's delightful. <laughs> yeah.
0: And your husband's in it, too. Yeah, he's, he
3: he's, is. Yeah. He's
0: the, he's the silent uh, screen star along several other people in that. Uh, the, and he did a great job because Michael can act with his face better than anybody <laughs> I know. It's amazing. You know? He's
3: pretty phenomenal.
0: Yeah. And um, for anyone who's interested, uh, the, you can check out that work. Uh, just look up the artist Johnny Dango, Hole in My Heart video. That is the video we're talking about. I had been out um, at a conference in Nashville. It's a philanthropy conference. It mixes faith um, and philanthropy and technology and arts. And uh, had gotten a chance to see a lecture by two people: Tiffany Whittier, who was a a probation officer, and um, and her client, who was uh, Michael Kent. I was so enthralled with the story because it was it was such a, a deep human story about... It's
3: an incredible story. Yeah.
0: The story of Michael Kent and Tiffany Whittier is that Michael Kent was a former neo-Nazi and had been incarcerated. And um, when he got out, his probation officer was Tiffany Whittier, who was a black woman. And she got his case and went to go see him. And over a matter of six months to two years, Uh, transformed his life uh, by seeing him and treating him as a human being, uh, regardless of his prejudices or hers. And um, the result is a profound story. And Sarah, you and I got a chance to um, illustrate it and and bring it into a a sort of small animated piece.
3: And I was, I mean, I was hook, line, and sinker. I was like, let's do this. I already knew who I would use as inspiration um, the works of William Kentridge, the um, South African artist um, who does these incredible, he does so much. I mean, everything from art, uh, visual art to opera and everything in between. But I already knew, I mean, when you were talking to me, I was like, oh, okay. Because you were like, I really want to do something. I want to do something to music. I want it animated. And um, and you and I just, I felt like there was a small explosion that afternoon in my studio. And, um, and we, we dug in hard. And it was, that was such, and still is, it's kind of an ongoing project. Um, but it's, that was, has been fantastic, our, our collaboration on Two Unlikely Friends, the animated film.
0: Yeah, it's an animated piece. And um, it, you, can, you can see it on troubadourimageandsound.com. Uh, we have it available for you to see there. I don't know if it's on your website or not. Um, it is. Odis, and not only,
3: it's on the website along with all of the drawings that I made that we animated.
0: Yeah, so if you go to, it's com, correct? sarahleehughes.com. You can see Two Unlikely Friends, and we recommend that you see it there. I know you've been spending some of the pandemic working on large format paintings uh, that are sort of personal to you, which is that's a new direction, right?
3: You know, it isn't um, It isn't a new direction. Okay. It is picking up something that I have had to pick up and put down and pick up and put down probably over 20 years w- worth of time. Um, ideas um, uh, that, you know, have been nurtured kind of like seeds, ideas that got started and then literally just kind of put on hold. And I had a great show with the Commerce Gallery last October. And then I was able to use some of these more personal pieces to, they've really acted as a as a bridge for this next wave of work that's coming. I, I like to think that I work in an open-ended series with everything. So just because let's say the work that was shown last October and some of those things are part of a series. That series isn't closed, those there are still ideas. I have what I call, if you've talked to me at any length, you know that I have this running list of paintings um, that I'm constantly adding to. And therefore I hope I really live, I intend to live a long life because I have a lot of paintings to paint. The work now has, uh, it's really getting richer. I've actually spent this year working on four paintings, they're getting so much richer that they're taking a bit more time. I had an incredible uh, exhibition opportunity in August where one of the more recent works called What Will the Neighbors Think, that showed at the Wausau um, Exhibitor was really well received. And now I've, I've just finished up, I guess this fall, I finished up a work called Don't Rock the Boat. I'm really enamored right now of uh, idioms Um, or phrases that I've heard while growing up in the South, or or just like living in the South in general, that kind of with the personal work that I do, it's kind of meshed. A bit of background for myself is that I have a huge theater background. My college degree is in uh, costume and lighting design. I've spent a lot of time in the theater, a lot of time as a scenic painter for both theater, television, and film. And that feeds really heavily right now into the work. In fact, I've been waiting for a while, thinking that the crossroads of my theater experience and my visual art experience was gonna be one thing, and sure enough, it is something completely different and something very obvious. The work now really is produced much like you would a play. I've, I've got the idea, it nurtures itself, there are characters, there's, um, there's a set, there's lighting, there's costumes, and that all kind of comes together on a two-dimensional surface.
0: That's cool. That's a cool way to think about that when people look at the paintings. It's almost like there needs, that would be a playbill that goes with each.
3: Yes. Yeah, I, totally. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, I've painting. never thought about that. But yeah, you could totally, yeah, you could totally do that. Um, in particular, I think on these last two paintings, um, Don't Rock the Boat. And, you know, I've got this painting that's going right now. It's called Potluck, and I won't go too far into it because it's, oh man, it's still in its pushing and pulling and shoving and, I don't know, grabbing stage. But it has a lot to do with traditions, you know, that uh, growing up Southern, that and particularly as a female, um, traditions that are passed down to us, traditions that maybe we take on and maybe, maybe we don't need to take on. Um, But Don't Rock the Boat is definitely one of those, and you can see that uh, painting on my website. It has uh, different versions of women and time periods, and the boat is steered by my daughter, who is, you know, of this new generation. The work in general, like across the board, is definitely about, about having grown up in the South. And in my particular case, what it was like to grow up in the South during the 1970s, during the 1980s. Um, my parents were divorced, my dad was gay, my mom was straight. Um, you know, they come from a generation, uh, a very different generation. I, I think it's best referred to as children were seen and not heard, all of those kind of influences um, and how that affected me as 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 growing up and, and what that kind of looks like and how that has unfolded. And also, now that I'm a mom, what how that, not necessarily, well, yeah, how that kind of reflects on or affects uh, my daughter. And, two with that, so I think to go back to this idea that it's a play on a, on a two-dimensional surface, you know, you've got some characters. So, just to let the audience know, I play all the characters. I've started to play all the characters in my paintings. Um, and... Um, you know, my hope is that I grab you first and foremost in a in a humorous way. Oh my gosh, look at that. Like, oh that uh, oh, that's so funny. I can't believe she painted that. And then it draws you in and you're like, oh, but, but look what's really going on. And then why is that, why is she in there? and what is she doing? And what do those clothes mean? And we've got somebody in contemporary clothes, and what's that about? Um, I really try to kind of grab you with a humor. You know, the and, um, you know, and also a familiarity, definitely a nostalgia. Nostalgia in my paintings is big. I feel like that brings an audience in because there's some type of familiarity in that. We all have that. Oh, remember that. Oh, my grandma. Oh, Oh, I remember something like that. So it brings you in, but I also want to get under your skin. And maybe two weeks later, you're like, wait a minute wait a minute. What was that? Did, did I see that? Oh, huh. Huh. I wonder if I, do I behave like that? Do I do that? I wonder if she meant this. So those are the kinds of things that I'm, I'm working for, you know? And I think using the idiom, the nostalgia, the, you know, the very southernness. I have been told, which is such a huge compliment. I've been told several times, like, oh my gosh, I look at these and they are, such southern paintings, and I'm like, oh, okay, yay! Like check that one off. Like okay, you know, work on the next layer of of stuff in the paintings.
0: All this work has now gotten you nominated for the very prestigious Bennett Prize.
3: Yes, um, you are
0: in the third. <laughs> third finalist so that's correct oh, one
3: of 10 finalists one of 10
0: finalists one of
3: 10 finalists and uh,
0: can you tell us a little bit about the bennett prize for those who don't know who I it would, is
3: i would be happy to the bennett prize was established by stephen allen bennett and dr elaine malati schmidt um and it is in its third round so it's awarded every other year and this is the third time it's being awarded. The Bennetts are collectors of women artists who work primarily with the figure. It's it's all figurative. They have an incredible collection. They started this prize in 2018, and, and it was to promote women figurative painters. Women artists in general do not and have not received the same prestige and seat at the table like their male counterparts. The Bennets really wanted to, to make a change in that, and so they began this prize. I entered, I think I, I can't remember if I entered the first year, but I know I entered last year. The jurors change every year. For this year, the jurors were um, uh, Zoe Frank, uh, who's an incredible figurative artist, I I recommend if you have not seen Zoe Frank's work, definitely look her up. Julie Bell, again, an incredible figurative artist, Uh, definitely look her work up. Jason Rosa, who is the CEO and director of the Fry Museum in Seattle, and I hope that I have his last name correct. And in 2021, I think there were, gosh, up to 800 maybe more entrants and they narrow them down to 10. And then right now I'm preparing my work. Each finalist will ship three paintings to the Muskegon Museum of Art in Michigan and the jurors will meet there live in February to jury the work live. Each of the three paintings will then go on to be included in an exhibition that will travel the United States through 2025, and in May of 2023, so next May, the finalists will be flown to Muskegon, and um, there will be the opening of the exhibition, and then there will be the announcement of the winner of the Bennett. So the Bennett prize is $50,000 that is uh, divided over two years, so that's $25,000 in a two-year um increment slot. I'm not really sure. Okay. But yes, $25,000 for one year, $25,000 for another year. And that is to help uh, the artist develop a solo show that will also travel the next round that solo show will travel the United States. And to in- incredible institutions. I know that um, the work last year went to the Beau Bartlett Center in, uh, in Columbus, Georgia. I, I am blanking on several other of the museums that the work traveled to. My sincere apologies. It is a, um, I I listened to, there's a wonderful podcast for those of you who are artists and for those of you who aren't, John Dalton Gently Does It. And he interviews Stephen Allen Bennett and Dr. Schmidt. Um, And it's wonderful to hear Uh, their background and why they do this and how they do this. And they really talk about like their thoughts, like how they were going to go about benefiting women figurative painters. The finalists were just contacted by American Art Collector to do a little blurb um, on each of the finalists. There will be a little blurb in Fine Art Connoisseur, two incredible art publications in this country and, and beyond. I mean, so... I just, it's huge. We're very excited for
0: you, rooting for you. I think we're hoping you get it. We think you will. So thanks so much for coming in and taking time to talk to us today. And hearing about all this is super exciting. And I think it's going to be a great 2023.
3: Thank you so much, Stephen. This was a lovely opportunity. Thank you to all the listeners out there. And thank you for your support. I really appreciate it.
0: The Southwest Museum of Clocks and Watches is a museum on the square in Lockhart. It has a collection of timepieces spanning over three centuries, each with its very own story to tell. In addition to the displaying of many timepieces, the museum's mission of keeping time also includes restoration work and restoring the clocks that are in the courthouses across Texas, including our own. I sat down with the visionary for the clock museum and master horologist, Gene Galbraith.
4: We opened in 2008, and so... uh Next year, two, 2023, will be our 15th year, I guess, right?
0: Okay, all right. Well, um, yeah, 2008, I guess that's right, because I came in 2007. And it wasn't always where it, where it is now. It used to be where the culinary room is when I... Yes, uh, yes, we at the were corner. in the
4: corner uh, there uh, in the three-story building, uh, the Brock building, and uh, we... Uh, got notice that uh, they had sold the building and uh, that we would have to move out. So we moved out and went into storage for a year. Then we got a call from our present location. I was uh, uh, a full-time teacher in the Austin Independent School District. When I retired in 1991, I was involved with uh, Antiques sales and uh, I acquired a lot of clocks, but I didn't know how to repair the clocks. So I uh, apprenticed out to a clockmaker in Austin for five years. I worked for him for $8 an hour. After five years, he said, I think you're a certified clockmaker. Go uh, start your own business. So I did that, but before I could get off the ground, Bob Larson on 35th Street contacted me and said, I'll hire you and pay you half of the proceeds for the work that you do. I Took him up on that and I worked with him for five years. And during that time, we were talking about having a clock museum in the Southwest part of the US. I walked into his office and said, Bob, I'd like to start a clock museum. What do you think about it? He says, well, that sounds like a pretty good idea. Uh, where do you want to do this? And I thought, well, I think I'd like to do it in Lockhart. He says, well, that'd be great there with the courthouse. He says, how much money do you need to get started? And I said, well, it usually takes about $500 to get all the paperwork done and get registered with the state as a non-profit corporation and, and all that. So <laughs> Bob Larson wrote me out a check for $500 and And by the fall of 2007, we had uh, made arrangements to rent the building on the corner of of Maine and San Antonio. We renovated the building and got it all set up for the museum. And we opened up on March 28, 2008. We do clockwork for clients. And uh, so I set up shop in the back of the museum. That helped with the cost of the museum. Uh, We've been going strong ever since. The county was uh, looking for somebody to come in and do service on the clock and get it running because it hadn't been running for several years. They contacted me and asked me if I'd be interested in doing a contract with them. And so in 2005, I started uh, as a clockmaster for Caldwell County Courthouse. Since then, uh, it's been running like a top. The strange thing about it. When I got the, the job at Caldwell County, the news got out to other counties that uh, there was somebody available to do tower clocks. And so over the years, we've done 11 restorations throughout Texas. Different courthouses have different ways of getting to their clocks. But in the Caldwell County Courthouse, uh, the access to the clock begins on the third floor And you pull down a uh, stair ladder. You have to climb up another two floors up to the top. Where the clock room is, that's equivalent to the sixth floor of the courthouse. In the process of getting to the clock, you have to climb one, two, three, four, five, six different ladders to get up to the uh, clock room. I wish we had an elevator, (laughs) but uh, the ladders are, are well built but uh, most of them go straight up, and uh, you, you don't have any uh, safety belt or anything on when you're climbing straight up, so you have to be in good condition. Then the transfer from the ladder into the clock room involves a little maneuvering, but uh, once you unlock the door and get in, everything is safe. The tower itself is constructed of wood beams, and when the wind blows the tower, shifts in the wind back and forth and upsets the equilibrium of the clock. So that that means the pendulum doesn't swing as true as it should, makes it difficult uh, to keep correct time. So for that reason, we have to uh, set the clock every week. One of my first
0: memories of living in Lockhart was the clock museum, uh, because you had called me, it was Christmas time, and you had called me and, and knew that I did audio and you, you called me up to come to the museum and you wanted me to help you install outdoor speakers on the museum. And so you went down there and uh, you had drilled holes in the exterior of the building and put we put speaker cable through and kind of mounted these PA speakers up there. And then you proceeded to blast, I think, Bing Crosby as loud as you could across the square <laughs> And then got called from the uh, guys that were at the courthouse. They were still having the county seat in there. Who called you to tell you to turn it down? They were like, you got to turn it down.
4: Well, uh, yeah, you helped us uh, get it all hooked up, and uh, we played the music of, uh, of the season, and it was great music. I loved it, and everybody was excited to hear the music uh, uh, around the, the courthouse. And in the courtyard, and I got the call from the county judge's office saying, "Uh, this is the secretary of county, and we would like for you to tone down your music because you're disturbing uh, people in the county. And I said, okay, we'll turn it down. Yeah, it took a while uh, to respond to their request. And now here's a word
0: from our sponsor.
5: phone rings, 935, and he goes, uh, hello, this is this Texas Adder? He said, yes, sir. This is uh, this is Hank Williams, Jr. Um, I need to place an order, I need to talk to Joella, because uh, I believe she's the daughter to Manny Gammage. And I'm like, Hector, shut up, I know it's you. And she goes, excuse me, this is, isn't this Hector? And he goes, no, this is Hank Williams, Jr., Mr. Bolsifus. I'm like, oh, Mr. Williams, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I I have friends that call, and they try to pull my leg early in the morning, and this is about the time he calls, and I, I really apologize. I'm sorry. No disrespect. And then she goes, hey, it sounds like you got the same kind of friends as I do. No good. <laughs> and then it's so good. It was in the morning. It was Hank Williams. It really was Hank Williams. Come on down to Texas Hatters, where we top the best. It's
0: time for a 78644 special. (laughs) Keaton Patty is one of the writers for The Jimmy Kimmel Show, and he has a Twitter account that... uh, where he posts some of these scripts that he's been working on, where he forces AI bots to watch things and then write scripts. And this particular reading that we're having today is is an original Keaton Patty script where Keaton forced the AI to watch over a thousand hours of Hallmark Christmas movies and then asked it to write a Hallmark Christmas movie of its own. So this is our uh, live reading of The Christmas on Christmas.
6: The setting is a small town snow globe refillery. We see a single mother refilling the snow globes with Christmas juice. She is a widow. Her husband died in every war. I refill globes better than Jesus' claws, yet, still, my twins are dad free. Why? They need double dad. A businessman enters the shop. He wears clothes that cost money. His hands are briefcases. And he is Hallmark hot. Hi, do your snow globes lack wet? (laughs) Hurry, Christmas is attacked soon. The businessman has a flashback to when he was a business boy. A Christmas tree explodes his family on purpose And now he hates trees, and Christmas, and explosions. He exits the flashback.
5: Shut your sound. I am from Huge City. I bought your land and am turning it into an oil resort.
6: (laughs) This is a family business. I sell families. I am widow. My husband is now Bones. (laughs) The single mother points to her husband's bones in the corner of the room. They are all gift-wrapped in eggnog.
5: All of my wives are bones. That is America, but I must make money for my twins to live. They are a prince. I too own twins.
6: Please, don't have bought my land. Christmas is today.
5: Businessman laughs. I bought Christmas and now it is never, unless we go on dates.
7: I cannot date because
6: of a snow curse. I pray Santa Claus helps me. But Santa cannot help. She did not know, but Santa was her husband. Santa is bones. Bones help nobody.
0: This concludes the 78644 special. Saturday, December 31st, on New Year's Eve, The Pearl will be having its New Year's Eve party with RDO Band from San Antonio from 8:30 to 11:30 p.m. Little Trouble and the Gaslight Theater present Midnight in New Orleans, a New Year's Eve party benefiting the Gaslight Baker Theater from 8 p.m. to 2 a.m haley tuck will be playing as well as dj's dave francis clara francis and kevin trevector get your tickets before they're sold out old Pal will be having music on the jukebox biscuits and black eyed peas at midnight sunday january 1st new year's day old Pal will be having haliana from 12 to 2 p.m wednesday january 4th the pearl will be having stony gable from 7 to 9 p.m Best Little Wine and Bookshop is going to be having Mr. Carter's Smooth Blues Corner from 6.30 to 9.00 p.m. Thursday, January 5th, Old Pal will be having Lily Milford from 7 to 9.00 p.m. Friday, January 6th, it's first Friday, Old Pal will be having Emily Herring and the Family Band from 9.30 to 11.30 p.m. The Pearl will be having Michael James Trio from 8 to 10.00 p.m. Arts and Craft will be having Joe Bob's Bar and Grill Band starting at 8.00 p.m. Sunday, January 7th, Old Pal will be having Sidetrack from 9.30 to 11.30 p.m. The Pearl will be having the Sunday Matinee with W.C. Clark at 3 to 5 p.m. Wednesday, January 11th, Old Pal will be having Parker Chapin Presents Chicken Fried Steak Night at 7 to 9 p.m. The Pearl will be having Whiskey Wednesdays with Lockhart Singer-Songwriter Chris Lancaster 7 to 9 p.m. Best Little Wine and Bookshop will be having Mr. Carter's Smooth Blues Corner 6.30 to 9 p.m. Thursday, January twelfth, Old Pal will be having Mary Charlotte Young from seven to nine p.m. Just a reminder that our lineup is featured on our Instagram page daily in our stories called the Roundup. If you want to know what's going on in town tonight or for the next couple of weeks, check out seven eight six four four Podcast on Instagram. It's also the place to go and find out when our next episode is out. And that is it for seven eight six four four News. Haley Tuck is is here today,
7: mm-hmm.
0: and thank you for coming in. Anna, oh,
7: man, thanks for having me. I hope I'm here all the time. Please, let's be best friends.
0: Your story is very interesting because you, you're you a Texas girl, and then you, you have a journey that's sort of a, a mystical type of journey of, of the poet's journey a little bit. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, growing up in Bastrop and then the legacy of going to a religious school and then saying, we haven't talked about what happened, but it sounds like you were like, I need to go to Paris.
7: Yeah, I mean sure, it's probably more like the, the anti heroes journey. I went to Baptist military boarding school um from when I was uh thirteen. And my dad in, the, in one of the greatest cells of all time told me it was gonna be like Hogwarts. And um but it was I will say that it was interesting. I mean, I don't know. What what do you do with what do you do with that? I had been in a burn accident, actually when I was thirteen, I'd been accidentally pushed into um some Coals like at a birthday party at a, on a beach. My dad being a lawyer, um, sued and I had some money put away that was supposed to, uh, probably put me through some conservatory. Um, but instead I used it to go to Paris because it hit my bank account at 18, at least in payments. I moved to Paris and, it, and and I thought it was going to be like supermodels and like Ernest Hemingway. And instead it was just completely strange. And, and I was alone and, and a you know, a giant metropolitan city, I was in the squat, and then I met this girl on a bus who was wearing a vintage dress, and we started talking, and I mean, it's so crazy how these things, like, shape your entire life, um, which is wild, but we started talking on the bus, and she was kind of going through some marital issues, and, you know, we were waxing poetic to each other, and she says, well, you know, I'm actually house-sitting um, for this couple who's a count and countess. The, the countess is American. Um, and, you know, you can probably crash on their velvet couch for a moment while they're gone. And she is throwing a party when the couple in question is returning home. And now I'm very close with them, so I know that I'm sure that, especially Sorrel, the the keeper of the coop, would not have loved having, like, a party in her house when she's coming home from vacation and probably tired and, you know, just looking to collapse in bed. So she comes back. There's a party going on. And she sits down next to me on the couch, and I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, come here often or whatever. And she's like, yeah, I live here. And I just came home from vacation, and I'm very annoyed. There's a party going on in my house. And I was like, oh, God, I hate to tell you this, but I've been living on your couch also. This is the the next worst thing that's going to happen to you. And she's like, oh, God. And she's very she's she's at those events she's a, she's a real fixer she's like oh god okay fine I'm gonna fix this so she's like look get down to your skivvies and I'm gonna dress you up like she dressed me up like a like a like a beautiful Art Deco you know kind of little nymph and she's like you're gonna sing on the table and if I like your song then you get to stay if I don't like your song then I'm gonna you know reconvene so I she dresses me up like Art Deco nymph on table in my panties and I sing. I'll be seeing you. One of my favorite songs like Billie Holiday to this day, and I thank Billie Holiday. I passed the test, and so she's like, "Wow, that was beautiful. This, this is what you should be doing." Because I, I was, I was flirting with the idea of being an actress as well, and she was like, "No, you're way too sensitive. Like, you like, I bet you take uh, criticism terribly." And I was like, "Oh my god, I take criticism terribly." She's like, "Yeah, a million girls look like you. You're just like pale with with brown hair. Like, forget." Forget the acting thing. The voice thing is what you should be doing. And I throw a lot of events. I'm going to hire you from all my events and dress you. And so she taught me not to wear pearls before 5 p.m. And the whole kit and caboodle. It honestly, I know it sounds like something a PR company cooked up, but genuinely moving to Paris is what I was reading about in, in Baptist military school when I was reading F. scott fitzgerald not that any of his female characters really have that that good of a time of it but certainly the entire concept was was what i was dreaming up
0: your imagination got lit on fire from this from reading about it right absolutely from, from, from
7: reading about it which i know is so is so you know run-of-the-mill but um fitzgerald and hemingway were kind of my were, were my gateway drugs but i will say that Erin, the girl I met on the bus, and then Sorrel, the girl who would later become my absolute best friend and mentor. And It's interesting, one person, I was really intent on being an actress because an actress, I could understand how to be an actress. At the time, I couldn't understand how to be a musician. I can play piano, whatever, you know, but I can't play Rachmaninoff. I knew where my strength, if any, lay. And she was the one who just was like, nope, every girl looks like he was an actress, screw it. And like one person that tells you that confidently You're like, oh yeah, you're probably right. You're right. You're right. I don't want to do that anyway. I I want to do the other thing. Especially
0: at 18, when you're like
7: total, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. If yeah,
0: a tadpole. Well, so then your career began. You began singing. Did you just go find? Did you go on Mart or whatever and find the band and then like (sighs) go to like. Start playing clubs and stuff or
7: Yeah, know. totally. I mean, gosh, I mean, I, I started singing. She 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 is an, an absolutely astounding painter, as is her partner. And she does this thing called Dr. Sketchies, which is actually all over the world. And and they have um artists and models. You know, it'll be themed. It'll be
0: Is it a party like a sporting right type of thing? It's kind of
7: a party, because like, there's probably wine served most places. It's almost like it's almost like um you're you're licensing out the idea of Doctor Sketches. But, and then mostly it's very serious artists who come and and like art school artists. And they, they, they draw. And they per- draw you. And, and if you're, and if you're the model, you are, um, you know, you, you pose for a set amount of times and then there's always a theme. That's kind of the, it's like licensing out kind of a brand, the, the concepts of it. And because she's a painter herself, of course, anything she's doing is, you know, is great upon great. And the venues she's able to get are great upon great. And so I started just singing little songs there. And then I started singing in little cabarets and then I kind of like moved up from there. And then actually my mom was trying to um, email Jamie Cullum and it went to Jamie Cullum's booking, which would make sense to me now, if that makes sense to me. And the person who was clicking open the email at that time was a bit more junior in the booking agency a little bit at that time. And he kind of took it and was kind of, and was thinking of kind of taking on a, l- a bit more heavyweight work. He messaged me back, and that's how I started being booked all over Europe for the next 13 years. Through another agency after that, but still, that agency for, God, six years? That was the, that was my lottery moment.
0: And you're touring, in I think it's fascinating because you're touring, you're playing, you go to to Paris to find the Bohemians in, mm-hmm. the, from the 20s, and mm-hmm. then you end up playing in the Cabarets. You obviously had... um Listen to Billie Holiday and and Josephine Baker and all that stuff before you left for France. Is that right?
7: Yeah, totally. You know, although I will I will admit that I was listening way more Ella okay. than I was Billie, and so I trust me. I have it has kept me up at night. Whether it's like chicken or the egg, because like I can like I can, like first of all, Billie's the queen. I'm not. I'm of course. I'm I I am not putting like comparing myself in that way. I think that I probably had something of a quality at Billie Holiday that I nurtured myself once somebody complimented me on it. You know, once somebody says like, oh, you're great at football, you're like, oh God, maybe I am good at football. I wanted to sound like Ella. And then later in life, I was like, oh man, you know, Ella's like got a big voice and also Blossom Deary. Blossom Deary is an angel, angel, angel pianist and vocalist. And her piano is, is equally as good as her vocal. It's like if Billie Holiday and I had a prodigal child. Europe is where my career is. I opened for Bjork and the Breeders and Diva Mahal and and Laura Marling. So all those people are hugely famous within themselves. But I tagline it as, I opened for Bjork, which is true. You know, during that entire process and like during everything of just like trying to organize somebody else when really I'm the one that also benefits largely from organized standpoint, it was very difficult to leave everything I built for 13 years in Europe. And, sure. I, and I was in Hong Kong and then I came here and did
0: you was it you just wanted to come to the states or was it reason?
7: Yeah my parents are my parents are getting a little older and uh, I was going through a divorce uh went went through a divorce and I thought gosh, you know what I really want to be is like with my family like I want I want to be with somebody who thinks I'm great no matter what because a little bit I, I feel like I move home and I'm like I'm out of sync with everybody everybody has kids um which I want but I'm, um, you know, coming very late to the party.
0: Well, it, it's also being an artist is is a very different experience from most experiences of li- how people live because yeah. you do have to be in these crazy scenarios that seem exciting, but but and they are, but it's a lot of work. You know? Yeah. And it's a lot of work to keep it going, you know? Yeah. And um, so I, I definitely relate to that. Before we move to talking about, Coming back home, mm. I do want to revisit that story again of working with the with the London Orchestra, the London Philharmonic. Is that right? BBC
7: Orchestra, BBC yeah. BBC
0: Orchestra. That's right. That's a fascinating story. I so you so you moved. is this when you were living in France and they had you to London?
7: Yes, they did. They 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 obviously very easily stole me over because I, I was signed by I was signed by uh, UK Sony's pop label, not their jazz label. Who has? More money than the jazz label, which I don't think is fair, by the way. It was, I've never heard something so loud. I mean, it was like in my body. I could feel it in my bones. Every instrument. It was, it was vibrating and it was so gorgeous and amazing. And I was so obviously honored to be there, you yeah. know, like, you know, by some sort of beautiful accident. But boy, did they not think that wouldn't through a little bit. Not not by the way, once I was once I'm in I'm all in, but they were doing strange fruit. There's so few songs that I won't sing. I mean, I'm I'm a jazz singer. I'm for sale. And definitely that's kind of one of the ones on the list, but if the BBC we ended up thank goodness we ended up going with another one because I I kicked up. I kicked I kicked kicked up is a strong word, but gosh, you know, this is like this is a really important historical it's a poem. Yeah. You know, that was put to music and I just don't we have we have so many other things to choose from. Yeah, <laughs> I, I feel like there's a lot of other options here. Yeah, this one is not going to go over well.
8: Here's a story about a sinner. He used to be a winner who enjoyed a life of prominence and position. The pressures at the office and his socialite engagements And his selfish wife's fanatical ambition Well it turned him to the booze and he got mixed up with the floozy She led him to a life of indecision The floozy made him spend his dough She left him lying on skid row a drunken lug in some Salvation Army mission It's such a shame Who thought I would say, damn it all and blow it all Oh, demon alcohol, memories I can't recall to or tequila Rum, scotch, vodka on the rocks As long as all his troubles disappear While well, he messed up his life Went and beat up his wife And the he has gone and found another sucker She's gonna leave him to the drink She's gonna lead him to the brink And when his money's gone She'll leave him in the gutter Oh dear.
0: Haley Tuck will be playing at the Little Trouble and Gaslight Theater midnight in New Orleans New Year's Eve party Saturday December 31st the party is from 8 p.m. to 2 a.m. so you can catch her there you can find out more about Haley Tuck at her Instagram site at Haley Tuck on Instagram she's on Spotify and on all the other places where you can stream music 78644 is made possible by our sponsors Texas Hatters Commerce Gallery, Little Trouble, Blairfield Realty, Wendy R. Books and Gifts, Willigan's Island, and Birdie House. Our show is produced by Kate Collins, recorded at the Troubadour Studio, Troubadour Image and Sound in Lockhart, Texas. In-studio performances by Haley Tuck, performances by Roy Heinrich. 78644 is streamed on where... 78644 can be heard on all major podcast formats, Radio Public, Google Podcast. Apple Podcast. For the beginning of the year, we wanted to send out one other song to you that is sort of thematic about the entire idea of the show, which is giving artists a platform and a voice um, so they will be remembered and appreciated. This is one of my songs called When the Music's Not Forgotten that I recorded under my band name Deadman. It was written Directly after the death of Johnny Cash and June Carter Cash. It's a song about um, all the great songwriters that taught us what to do and how to do it. So Happy New Year and Happy 2023 from us to you.
9: We hide our fears and don't draw near Such a, sound. Such a sound, one that cannot be forgotten. In a time, In a time. when the music's, music's not forgotten. In a, In a time when the music's not forgotten. In a time, In a time. In a time. when the, the music's not forgotten. In a time.